This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 89, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, June 19th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and today uh, we're looking at the comics that were released the week of Wednesday, June 19th, and uh, we're doing some rapid-fire reviews. Uh, First off, I just have some housekeeping to take care of. First of all, um, this will be, I'm going to say, a much shorter episode than normal for reviews episodes. Uh, This is going up, hopefully, well, realistically, I'm recording this late on the 24th, which is the Monday evening uh, it probably won't go up till sometime on the 25th in the morning. Um, I want to just apologize that the episode is late. Uh, yes, this is quite common for me, but, uh, I always do strive to have the episodes up on Sundays. Unfortunately, this time around, um, it's just, uh, you know, scheduling gets in the way. I was, uh, out of town. I was at a wedding in, uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, for those who know your Canadian geography. And if you don't, look it up. Um, so I was out of town, uh, from Friday to Sunday, I had some bad food poisoning, so, you know, everything you would expect when you're going out of town, you have to then get on a flight after a wedding, and no, it wasn't because I was hungover, and God, I wish it was because of that, cash bar kind of makes that impossible, um, well, not impossible, but more unlikely. Anyway, so now I have returned from my travels, feeling better, but, uh, it does mean that this episode is going up later than originally intended, so I do apologize for those who were looking forward to the episode yesterday, um... Also, a little bit of housekeeping as well. Addition, uh, upcoming episodes. Ep- ep- yeah, upcoming episode is episode ninety, which will be our monsters spotlight on monsters university episode, uh, which I should be doing with my wife Kelly Chapman. Uh, we're going to see Monsters University tomorrow on the twenty fifth of June. Um, so hopefully we'll have a good episode uh, going up on probably the 26th or possibly the 27th, depending on scheduling. Um, and that should be a good episode, I hope. And then uh, after that, we'll have episode 91 will be the next week's reviews episode, which tentatively uh, should be guest-starring uh, AJ Reese, who was previously on the last reviews episode, which would have been episode 87. Uh, we had some technical glitches last episode. Um, I'm new to recording Skype streams, and I, I had a, found a uh, recorder which seemed to record the quality, for the most part, fairly well. Unfortunately, as it turned out, it was lagging behind and capturing AJ's uh, his stream, basically, was coming through Skype. So, as, as although when we were talking, everything was perfect, and there was no lag in the conversation at all, when it was actually being recorded, there was that lag, and so... Um, it made the episode a little bit more difficult to follow than normal. Uh, a few people have said, uh, Overdrive or Tom Kerr on the boards has said that, you know, once you got used to the rhythm of it, it got a little bit easier to understand what we were saying, but, uh, hopefully we'll be able to fix that up. So I've got some, some, uh, some ideas in mind on how to try and fix it. I am obviously still quite a novice when it comes to anything with regards to audio. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, kind of a, a fumbling around in the dark but trying to figure out what works and hopefully we'll have something because um, when future episodes whenever Nathan Strzok will be on the show uh, for the most part will probably likely be through Skype because he has actually just moved out out of Toronto for the again those who are local or know the Toronto area uh, he's moved to Pickering which is still close by but not quite as close as before so he won't be able to attend as many in-person sessions which uh, is a shame and we'll miss him definitely uh, being a um, more of an in-studio presence on the show so it's all the more important that i work out and iron out the issues with skype so that those episodes will be able to uh, go off without a hitch in the future as well uh personal plea i just want to put in uh for those who are listening to this episode uh, if you are on hc realms on the boards uh, you do usually put up the episodes uh 
uh, on the boards. Uh, I'm actually looking for suggestions for the next episode. Uh, or sorry, the next full episode after the Monsters University one. So this would be going up the week of, I believe, uh, the Wednesday. That week is July 3rd. Um, those who are in, who know Canada, uh, Canada Day is on next Monday. And usually that would be when I'd be recording the new episode. Now, if Nate had been around, it might have been a Talking Heroclix episode. Anyways, I'm trying to get some people together. I'm trying to, if he's listening, Tom Kerr, uh, hopefully he'll be able to come for on July 2nd, which is a Tuesday to record as I'll be off work that day. I'm just basically, I'm looking for suggestions on either something that I, uh, if I'm not unable to, you know, rally the, rally some people around to actually come in and do an episode because it's a long weekend. It's a lot harder to get people to commit to doing an episode and uh, doing the recording. Uh, so barring that, I'm interested to see what do listeners want to want to hear me talk about. If it is possibly the first time that I'll actually do um, one of those, you know, even numbered shows, which usually are kind of special topic shows, it may just be me. Uh, what do you want to hear me talk about? Um, is there anything particularly you want me to go over? Is there anything, um, you know, my favorite somethings uh, that I could go on at length? I mean, it'll be a little bit of a boring show, and I apologize, because it will just be me. It'll be a little one-sided. Uh, but this is your chance to ask questions. Um, I always ask for fan mail. I, not fan mail. I always ask for, like, you know, if people have questions or things they want to post to me, please do so. I, could, I mean, if I had enough of, uh, of people asking questions or asking for certain lists of stuff that would at least give me something to talk about on that show in case i'm not able to get uh tom or one of our other re- uh, relatively uh, regular guests to be on the show so i always want the show to be as good as possible so i'm just asking for those who are listening to give me a hand and suggesting some ideas and topics etc that maybe we can do on an episode i really appreciate the assistance and the help and uh hopefully we can put something together anyways Enough with the yammering, considering I'm making this a shorter episode than normal. Let's get right on into the uh, the episode. Uh, so, the first book we'll be taking a look at this week is A Plus X number 9. This book, um, I'm not really sure why it still exists. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm getting to become a little bit of a broken record when I talk about it. It's not usually anything that exciting. Sometimes you'll have, it'll be kind of cute, but it never really feels like much more than that. Um... And I, I feel like at this point, when you know the book's been around a while, it's not new, and it's still just kind of happening. I wish I could enjoy it on the you know the kind of old school Marvel team up style merits, but it doesn't have any internal consistency as a book, which makes sense based on the fact that it's basically a jam session. But I don't know; it just it never feels like it needs to be read. And I feel like at three ninety nine, the book kind of needs to feel like a little bit more important, and not just kind of feel like this weird kind of. I don't know, a bunch of stories that are just kind of get thrown together. I don't know. The lead stories are Captain America and Wolverine. It's written by Nathan Edmondson, who I don't really know the name. Uh, penciled by Humberto Ramos. And then the other story, uh, the backup, from or the, the co-feature, is the Doctor Strange plus Quentin Quire, Pixie, and iBoy. And it's written and illustrated by David Lapham. Uh, the primary story... Very generic. It's basically just hey, let's put Captain America and Wolverine together. One of them is a killer. One of them hates, you know, uh, values all life and 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 can't and can't bear the idea that anyone ever die. Uh, it just feels like very much like it's been done before and it's been done better. And then they fight a monkey with a, pa- a powerful staff. And then they come across. They finally are able to find Doctor Strange. That's basically the story. It's really long and unnecessary. And then you have the backup, which is kind of a cute. Uh, um, 
idea where you have Quentin Choir and Pixie are basically competing against one another uh, to try and see if they can get are able to get their hands on any of the uh, artifacts in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Uh, while in there, iBoy goes with them as like the impartial judge to see who wins. He ends up being able to see Despire, uh, you know, really messing with Doctor Strange, and so he convinces them to assist. And anyways, he gets a, ends up getting a boon from Doctor Strange because he has impressed Doctor Strange more than the other two. Um, they're just very forgettable. They're not all that interesting. There's nothing in it where I'm like, you know what, you really got to pay attention to this story or this really grabbed me. It just kind of happened. It was there and then it was over and I didn't really have much of a lasting impression. Uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I wrote down what book, it, like what books I was talking about, I probably would have forgotten it even happened. Uh, next up is kind of the big one for the week and that's Age of Ultron number 10. Uh, I'm going to be a little charitable and I'm going to give this a five. Um, I thought it was just so such a waste of time. I... I mean, it's at the end of the at the end of the day, this this whole Age of Ultron series was just felt like such a waste of time. Um, there was that issue where they decide to break off into future and past ha- uh, camps, and then the the camp goes to the future, and then we never hear from them again. And what what there was almost no point ever even seeing what they were doing because it never mattered to Bendis at all. Um, and part of this here, you have Hank Pym finding Hank Pym telling him a story about. You know what's going to happen, what he needs to do, and how it's all going to work, and then we get to see the, basically the flashback to what happened in and around Avengers 12.1, uh, when uh, the intelligentsia was still a thing. Uh, you know, Beast was still a cat. Uh, Miss uh, Captain Marvel was still Miss Marvel, and it makes the whole thing feel extremely like disjointed because um, that's back when this this event basically takes place long before. A lot of the current stuff, like the fact that Iron Man's still in his old armor, he's not in the in the black armor yet. Basically, any of the stuff at the end of Bendis' run hadn't really happened yet. It just makes the entire like it's basically pre AVX, so it makes this feel very inconsequential in a lot of ways. Um, the way they they, they you know they fight against Ultron, and that's really easy, and and uh, and, and I get why it's easy, and but the, and the artwork is very strange because you have like. Brian Hitch doing some of the artwork and then he kind of backs off and he doesn't do some of the rest and you have um, them installing this program in Ultron that takes him out basically it's a backdoor that was there because of the, the mucking around in the space-time continuum Wolverine, Wolverine did previously um, oh, I just found this incredibly frustrating and I also don't understand what like there, there's um, Sue and Wolverine that are from the Age of, the, Age of Ultron timeline there should be alternate versions of them now around, and but I just don't understand. Like we see Wolverine standing there, and then there's like a hiccup in time, and he's remembering all these things and all these different ideas and and parts of the timeline, and all these different characters are basically having all these things show up. And I guess it's the idea of being all these weird timeline things are now explained, or anything that's ever happened with regards to time or weird time travel is explained because of Age of Ultron. It's just so stupid. It's really painful. Um, they're trying to kind of work something in, even though it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I just, I just found this extremely frustrating and insulting as an issue. Trying to be like, hey, look, we had a plan, and now we're going to shatter. And it's just like, really, are you DC? Are you trying to do a crisis on, you know, on multiple Earths? Basically, like it just, I just, the whole point of the story was for what? Like, I understand that these companies want to create the new platform. Um, a lot of Marvel events over the last decade set up the next wave. 
Uh, you had, I mean, at the end of the day, Disassemble crushed the old Avengers franchise and, and made it so that he could then come in with new Avengers and rebuild it. Okay. Uh, you have Civil War. Eh, maybe not. That, like, that set up a whole new era of, uh, you know, of you have uh, Iron Man in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, you know, the, the the heroes won, basically, and that one, more or less, even though their rights didn't. And then you had, uh, you know, House of M. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skipping around. I'm not doing them all in order, but House of M, you had all the mutants lose their powers, and that became a huge focal point of what that series was meant to achieve, and it changed, you know, a decade's worth of, of mutant storylines. Uh, so all these stories... They, for the most part, they had they told their own story, but then they also impacted what came later. Uh, then you had stories which didn't really do either. Uh, you had Fear Itself, which, I mean, works better as a Heroclux event than an actual story, comic book storyline. Almost works better as a 2D side-scroller beat-em-up on a video game than anything else. Um, but it wasn't that great a story, and it didn't have... And its after-effects were nullified before the point one, point two, point three issues were even done. Um... And then, so you have that, and then you have, now you have this, where it's really the only, only reason for even having Age of Ultron was, I guess, to set up other things and, and, and crack the timeline a little. But who the fuck cares? Like, before they change this, I don't need to see, you know, Galactus in a different, in the Ultimate Universe. That doesn't mean anything to me. I don't need to see Tony deciding that he, uh, sorry, not Tony, uh, Hank Pym deciding that, you know, he's he's doing things wrong he's got to he's got to change something he's got to make differences uh i don't care that uh, angela is now in the marvel universe no one no one actually gives a fuck about angela being anywhere uh marvel execs seem so excited that she's going to be around and she's going to be this huge new thing no one actually cares because the character was big with what a few a handful of issues and that was over what 20 years ago no one actually gives a damn that she's around and now she's back she's she's back oh no and i'm like i don't care you get and like what's the unguessable ending that there wasn't really one that it was the lamest way to take out an awesome character like ultron um and it's just it's just it boggles the mind how stupid this was uh we got 10 issues for nothing um I, well, I thought this was actually going to be a really cool Ultron storyline. I thought this was going to be the new Ultron Unlimited. For those who read Avengers, what, Volume 3? Uh, that was Kurt Busiek's and uh, George Perez's legendary Ultron run, where Ultron, you know, uh, blew up a country, and, he, and uh, it was the Avengers having to stop him. It has that classic, you know, Wizards... Wizard used to say, you know, it was one of their favorite moments of that year where it's like... Uh, Thor and a bunch of the other vendors show up, and he's like, you know, Ultron, we would have words with thee, which I think they even adapted into the uh, the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon at one point. So, I mean, there are some great Ultron storylines. This is not one of them. Ultron played such a, a bit part in it, considering it's supposed to be the Age of Ultron, and really, we never really got to see much of how it all went down, because we jumped in in the middle of the action, and we thought we were going to get to have this great new story. Instead, it was supposed to be this weird time travel story where Wolverine is philosophizing, and philosophizing? I don't know if I pronounced that right at all. Uh, and making all these smart decisions, you know, trying to make all these decisions to change the fate of the universe. I'm like, really? Like, I understand Wolverine is like your masthead character, but fuck off. Like, this, Wolverine is not the type of character who should be the one, 
involved with this. There are other characters who could actually be fascinating uh, to try and make these decisions because they are the, the thinkers and they are the doers and not, oh, sorry, the thinkers and Pete, not just the doers because Wolverine's a doer but he's an idiot. He's he's basically an implement. You, you point him in a direction and he'll, he'll charge. I mean, yes, they've given him new, more nuance over the years but not to the point where he's the, the, he's the guy who should be having this interesting conversation with himself about the nature of space-time. That's just not... That's not at all a Wolverine characteristic, and it, it just felt like uh, I'm actually surprised in some ways that Bendis didn't make it Luke Cage who got to be that mouthpiece, because God knows Brian Michael Bendis loves Luke Cage something fierce. Uh, although we did get to see some Luke Cage earlier in the storyline doing what Luke Cage does. Um, I just found this extremely frustrating as a series. The issue is very lackluster, very... Like, all this time, you know, like, I remember after reading issue 9, I was like, there's there's a lot they have to do in the next issue. Nope. Because apparently they're going to just pretend that half the stuff never happened, which is, I guess, even more insulting, that we watched so much of this not matter. I mean, and technically you could say Age of Apocalypse was the same, and that you saw so a lot of things happen, and then technically they never really happened. But it never felt that way, because Age of Apocalypse, you read like 30-something books, and it felt like it was all... You were, you were headed in one direction. You had all these different splinter books, all with a specific purpose, building up to the big finale. So when you got to the big finale in X-Men Omega, you felt like it was an earned ending. Because everything that you'd read up until then, like the Gambit and the Externals going into space. So I'm going to nerd out for a second. But Gambit and the Externals going into space, getting the Mercurian Crystal. You had X-Man, uh, you know, realizing that he's supposed to be taking down Apocalypse. You have Astonishing X-Men, where you have, you know, all the actual X-Men squad deciding they have to, they have to go take it to, uh, to uh, Apocalypse and, and rescue Ma- uh, Magneto and Rogue's child. You have Amazing X-Men where they're able to stop the Madri and they have to, again, link up with the Astonishing X-Men and go take it to Apocalypse. You have Excalibur where uh, Nightcrawler and Mystique had to go and get uh, Destiny because Destiny was required to help put the timeline back together. Uh, They had Ileana Rasputin having to be uh, rescued by Colossus because she was an integral part to sending Bishop back to the... Oh, sorry, that's what Amazing X-Men did. They had to rescue Bishop so that they could use Bishop to go back to the past and stop uh, Legion from killing the wrong man. Or stop stop him from killing anyone, really. Uh, So every little piece of the puzzle, uh, they all ended up working together and feeling like you had read a story. Like Weapon X, Wolverine was involved with uh, the Eurasian High Council and sending in the last wave of Sentinels, which was going to help. So making it feel like everything was coming to a crescendo and all the pieces linked up so that there was nothing that was coming out of nowhere, and it felt earned. That that last issue of the Age of Apocalypse felt like one hell of a finale. All the story threads coming together, and then it was over. The world blew up in an atomic fury. That's basically how originally it was meant to end, uh, as Bishop was able to set right the timeline and put everything back to normal. Um, this felt like there was very little. It was such an... Such a lame way. Like, I get what they're doing with the whole, you know, oh, well, uh, Hank Pym can do some mumbo-jumbo technobabble in the past to create the virus that eventually when Ultron tries to stop it, he won't even know it was there until it's too late, and then when he does try to stop it, he'll just be accelerating it, and then he'll basically eat himself away, and then he'll be done. It just felt very anticlimactic. It uh, didn't feel that earned. Um, and then, again, you have basically an extra Wolverine. It doesn't show that he blinks out of existence, so is he still around now? Um, I don't know, I just found this very frustrating, and now it's like, oh, hey, look, Marvel, now we have a catch-all. Like, I thought that Superboy's punch at reality, shattering things so that things could just be explained away, was pretty dumb and lame. This is lamer, 
in its own way. I mean, it's not quite as as ridiculously stupid, because at least we have an actual like you know time travel and the idea of time travel you know weakening and damaging that barrier at least makes a little bit more sense to my science fiction mind than a superpower Kryptonian boy punching at a reality wall. I mean that's a little bit weirder and harder to take, but they're both stupid ideas. Um, so I'm giving it a charitable five uh, because. I like some of the artwork, but, I mean, this is terrible. And I think I've wasted way too much time talking about this. It's just, this was the big book of the week, and it was sucked. Uh, and it was very disappointing. So that was Age of Ultron, book 10. It's over, kind of. We got, what, 10 AU still coming up? So, anyway. Uh, good job, all those involved. This was pretty awful. Uh, artwork by Alex Maleev, Brian Hitch and Paul Neary, Butch Guys, Brandon Peterson, Carlos Pacheco, Rod- and Roger Bernay with Tom Palmer, David Marquez, and Joe Quesada. Oh, Joe, you came out of wherever you've been for a while, hanging out with Marvel Studios and movie stars, to do a few pages with Angela, which was pages we never wanted, never needed, didn't care about, and if that was the big surprise, or I don't know what what of this issue was supposed to be the big unguessable ending. Um, was the guess supposed to be, I didn't, I didn't guess that it would suck and be a giant waste of my time and money? Because you're right, I didn't guess that. I thought I actually had more faith in the creators and Marvel than that. And apparently that faith was misplaced entirely. Um, uh, just terrible. Not worth it. Uh, next up is Animal Man number 21. I dug this. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, it's an interesting interesting story. I like the idea of having Animal Man dealing with, like, you know, him. he is a movie, he is a celebrity, he's a movie star, and how Jeff Lemire is playing with that. I like how you have all, like, the Twitter stuff and people supporting him and have how that kind of interplays throughout the story as he decides that maybe he should still be a hero. He sees that there's these pet disturbances and him trying to get involved with that, and uh, which is really interesting and cool. Also, his daughter uh, trying to kind of go be behind her mother's back to try and do what she needs to do to try and find out Cliff because she thinks that maybe he's still alive. Uh, really interesting stuff. Really cool. Uh, again, the artwork by uh, Polk uh, remains as disturbing as ever, but uh, the story was really interesting and enjoyable. And I'm interested to see where they go from here. Um, so yeah, I, I, I dug it. It wasn't the greatest issue, but I, I gave it a solid 7. Uh, next up is Avengers number 14. Uh, it continues to be one of my favorite books on the stands, which surprises nobody. Um, this is a prelude to Infinity. Um, you know what, to be honest, I, I miss Free Comic Book Day. I don't even know if I've actually had a chance to, in any way, to actually read the uh, Free Comic Book Day issue, which is supposed to lead up to the Infinity event. That being said, I really did enjoy this issue. Uh, it's written by Hickman, Jonathan Hickman and Nick Spencer. Uh, and it's got artwork by uh, Caselli, who I have always enjoyed. Uh, he's worked a bunch of times with uh, Hickman in the past. He's a great collaborator collaborator of Hickman, I'd say. I really enjoyed his work, uh, Stefano Caselli. And this issue is called The Signal. So we have all the different uh, sites that were affected by uh, the garden. They are the gardeners, aren't they? I can't remember what they are now. Uh, early on, uh, basically, they start activating. And they're trying to deal with this. Uh, you have the Avengers kind of trying to figure out what to do. And uh, there's all these disturbances happening throughout the world. Um, the, the, the the lightning's really doing some weird things. You have... the And I love uh, the new Captain Universe being like, you know, it's all symptoms of greater illness. All these issues are happening throughout the world. Um, there's, you know, the, the, there's this, this signal that's being transmitted in 
them the, the Avengers and Hulk, uh, sort of Bruce Banner and everyone trying to figure out what's going on and how to fix it. And then AIM Island may have just woken something up, which isn't good either. Uh, it just was a really strong read. I loved how the characters were written. I like how Bruce Banner was written here. Um, it was just really solid, and the artworks were fantastic. I gave this a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Back, Batman and Batgirl number 21. Uh, I'm really torn. I liked... I think ultimately I was going to give it a 7, even though parts of it definitely felt painful. You know what? I take it back. It's a 6. Um, sometimes you make a decision, and then you realize, nope, you made the wrong one. Um, it's not the greatest illustrated issue. Um, the story in this storyline has not really felt like it's Tomasi's best. I get that he's trying to do a, a Fallen Sun style, um, you know, five stages of grief with grief with regards to Batman, dealing with the death of Damien, and also dealing with his, his um, his, uh, compatriots uh, in the Bat family. Uh, it's interesting to bring Batgirl in it, because obviously she's having her own crisis of faith right now. Uh, this issue is called The Bargain. It's got Cliff Richards as the guest penciler, Peter J. Tomasi obviously writing it, with Mark Irwin, with Marlo Alquiza as guest inkers. Um, this is not the best artwork I've ever seen by Richards. Uh, it's very loose. Uh, sometimes the the look on... Uh, he really goes with, hard with the idea of the cape and cowl really being a helmet as opposed to being something molded or molded plastic or any... Not plastic, but like a any form of actual cowl like it just looks very firm i'm not a big fan uh at times there's not a lot of detail in the in back row as she's moving around tomasi's script does get better than it has been in the past at times because i do like how he's addressing the fact that back is having her own crisis of faith in her own book recently and uh this is before i believe it's before no it's after sorry a lot of Batgirl issues of or two Batgirl centric issues came out this week, but this is after she thinks that she killed her brother. She's dealing with that. Batman's not really explaining why. Or she she's never really explained why she's ripped the Batman bat symbol off of her chest. Um, you have Batman being really pissed off about a lot of stuff here. You have Batgirl even offering to wear the the Robin costume. Um, it just uh, I don't know. Batman seems too angry, and uh, he it's interesting because obviously a recent storyline in the Death of the Family storyline was supposed to be the idea that he loses everyone's trust and then they don't trust him anymore and then that's what shatters the family. But that really wasn't it at all because the Death of the Family really is coming from Damian Wayne dying and then Bruce, Bruce being a dick to everybody because of his grief. Um, it's odd how they've managed to play this out and decided to go about it but I feel like a lot of the other books that Batman's in don't bear this out in any way. It's almost as if the, the real... The, the most fallout from the death of Damien is in this book and nowhere else, really. Uh, you have shades of it in some other places, but really this is where you're getting the brunt of it, and, I don't know, it doesn't really feel accurate, and I don't think this is the best portrayal of, of how they could have shown that. Um, so I gave that a 6. Next up is uh, Batwoman number 21. I also gave this a 6. I really didn't like the artwork. I didn't care much for the story of Killer Croc. Um... I, this was an interlude issue, and it felt like it. Uh, I just, I, I, I really didn't like it at all. It's uh, co-written by W. Hayden Blackman and J. H. Williams III. Uh, J. H. Williams III also does the cover. Uh, the art is by Francesco Francavilla. Um, it's got a, an interesting take on art and on Waylon Jones. I didn't like it. Didn't care for it. I found the issue hard to follow just because I didn't care, and I found it just uninteresting and I couldn't wait for it to be over which I guess is all you need to know so I gave it a 6 out of 10 
Next up is uh, Birds of Prey, number 21. I like this quite a lot. Um, I like that this was a, a, a tie-in between Talon. Uh, so you have Calvin Rose, who, uh, again, I really like Talon's book, and I think it's really played against expectations because you start with this guy being like he's supposed to go up against the Talons and stop them, and then relatively quickly he ends up being corrupted by them. He's forced to do their bidding and once again be a Talon uh, in order to save the lives of those close to him. Uh, which is really interesting. Um, so I really dug that. Uh, this is issues written by Christy Marks, artwork by Romano Molinar, um, breakdowns by Scott McDaniel, inks by Jonathan Glapian. And, ink, and so I should mention colors are by Chris Sotomayor. I've always enjoyed his colors, and they, he continues to not disappoint. Um, this is some real... Like, I really like the action in here. I always like the idea of... And I, I, this is something they used to do a lot in the 90s on Spider-Man books where you'd see a character g going really fast through something and so you'd have like, the mo not instead of motion lines, you'd have like motion images of that character in, like, in motion because they're moving so fast. So like there's a few shots here where you have Calvin Rose like jumping and then doing a backflip off something and then you have him s being solidly illustrated when he actually lands, uh, which is really cool stuff. Overall, it's a fun story, it's a fun read. Um, I, I'm enjoying Birds of Prey probably a lot more than I should. I like the ongoing nature of it. Um, and I really enjoyed the work here with, uh, the two talents fighting each other and back trying to find them. You have a little bit more on, uh, not forget his name, but, you know, the guy who's been hanging around the birds. Uh, I'm interested to see what, uh, Talon number nine is going to look like. Um, yeah, no, this was a lot of fun and I enjoyed it quite a lot. And for those who've been reading Talon, I think this will be an enjoyable uh, extra issue that you end up having to purchase, but I think hopefully uh, a fun one. And part of that is that you have part of part of the issue is actually from Calvin Rose's perspective. So I think that's part of what helps solidify it as a as a better than your run of the mill tie-in because at least you're getting a, you're, if you're coming from having just read Talon, you're at least getting a perspective of that character as to what's going on during this part of the sequence. So you don't have to worry about having to read Talon to recap this. Instead, you're actually still getting his perspective on these events, as opposed to having to read an issue of the same fight, but from a different perspective. So it's an interesting take on it, by at any means. Um, next up is, uh, so that was an 8 out of 10, is uh, Cable and X-Force number 10. This is, uh, I'm going to give it a 5. I was going to give it a 6, and I'm like, why? What, who am I being nice to? Um, so this is what, issue number 10. It's, it remains not a very interesting or entertaining book. Uh, it's still being published somehow. I'm sure it's published. It's doing well because it's Cable and X-Force, and those things usually sell fairly well. Uh, if only it was any good. Uh, Dennis Hopeless is writing with Salvador LaRocca and artwork. Um, still not really enjoying LaRocca's take on art at all. Uh, here we have Hope and Blake Smith finding each other. Um, didn't really care for the humor with the Blake Smith. I just felt like Hopeless doesn't know how to write the character. Let Jeff Lobret him. Jeff Lobret's a really great Blake Smith. Uh, and not this crap. Uh, I'm just tired of this version of Cable with the weird claw, like hand, like arm claw stuff, and him dealing with his, you know, his visions of the future. I just feel like they're trying so hard to give him more of a purpose again that it just makes me feel like I just don't care for the character at all. Uh, their tangle with the Uncanny Avengers was really boring and not all that interesting. Uh, Hopes again, her interaction with Blake Smith was far from interesting. I mean, having Havoc in the book should be a more interesting element but it just it fails to be interesting at all and just i don't know i i just cared so little for this and uh the artwork by uh Laroca is just far from my favorite um 
I don't know, this could have been better. If anyone else was writing this book, this might be more interesting and not just feel so nebulous and ridiculous and just feel like I'm wasting my time every month. And uh, the artwork by LaRocca just continues to go downhill. Um, it was like everything that I didn't like about his immense Wireman run, but further compounded and aggravated. So I just find myself uh, not enjoying this in the least. Um, so I gave this, what did I say, a 5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Captain Marvel 13. Um, not really digging this either. It's this whole Enemy Within storyline. It's at least a little bit more interesting than it started because I like the idea of this Magnetron character. Um, it's just taking a little long to, to kind of get there and get to the point. Um, I'm liking Carol's little group, uh, trying to figure out what the connections is and how it's all working. I like that Bruce Banner joins as well because I thought it was really kind of fun and interesting to have him there, although a little out of character and odd. Um, I'm still not a big fan of the art in this book. I did. I, I think I enjoyed the writing a lot more than the art. Uh, I did like the idea of the Kree centuries being resurrected and from around the globe and having uh, the, all the Avengers and related teams going up against them. That part was really cool. So, uh, as I said, part of it just wasn't good at all. And I, part of that is in the artwork. I just found it very not really engaging at all. It wasn't quite to my taste. But then I really do enjoy the story a little bit more now that it feels more grounded in Captain Marvel's continuity and the character and previous things that have happened. I like the Magnetron idea for a character. So, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick wrote it with Hepburn on art and Jordi Belair on colors. I do like Belair on colors. Um, overall, I'll give it a 7. Uh, it's stronger in story than it is in art. Um, next up is Fantastic Four number 9. I thought I would dislike this. Well, you know, I do, actually. I was going to give it a 6.5, but I'm going to downgrade that to a a six. Um, still not a fan. This book has just lost me. It's not nearly as much fun as it, I thought it might be, and I thought it was going to have more of a, a focus on fixing, um, on fixing the characters, and after the primary conceit that they're you know all being kind of degraded and their powers are falling apart. Instead, we're having this this uh, sidestep that Reed wants to bring Ben Grimm back into the past to show him that it's well, not his fault, that he didn't actually cause uh, the what happened to Doctor Doom. I hate this entire idea for a story, the idea that Ben ever would have thought it was his fault, the idea that he would have done anything that even would have prompted that belief. Uh, it just, I found it ex- extremely frustrating, and I hate it. I just, I hate it so much. And here, I just felt like there's no need for it. You have all these weird future versions of Doom watching as well, and you have Ben Grimm show up and actually try and, and interact with the past. I just felt this this was a needless, um, you know, story that involves the time stream. Didn't like it. Didn't care for it. Didn't need to read it. It just felt like a giant waste. What was the point of this? And it, they introduced an element uh, that so that Ben Grimm could doubt himself, and then they very simply just uh, tie it all up and say, oh yeah, it's over. Um, no, this was waste. This is a waste of time. Um, this whole the fraction isn't really getting the characters. I love the artwork by Mark Bagley, but it does not make up for the horrible writing of Matt Fraction. He's not doing a good job by these characters. He's not honoring any... I don't feel like he's never really read an FF comic. He doesn't quite get it. Uh, he doesn't get who Ben Grimm is, how noble a character he is. He should read This Man, This Monster, the classic Stanley Jack Kirby story, uh, and then reassess what the hell he's doing, because he's not doing anything good by the character. Um, next up is Green Lantern New Guardians, number 21. Uh, another another 6 out of 10, which is uh, the theme for this week. I really didn't like this. Justin Jordan wrote it. Parts of the script were interesting, uh, but a lot of it wasn't. Uh, I think it does make sense now to call this Green Lantern New Guardians because you actually have 
like legitimately new guardians or people who are kind of new in the job. Brad Walker and Art. Um, really, really didn't like Brad Walker and Art. He makes Kyle Rayner look like a noobish little child um, and with an overgrown, stupid white mask. Uh, I just think Kyle Rayner deserves more than this, and I feel like the script is trying to write him a little bit like that, but then the actual illustrations are totally missing the point and it almost felt like there's this weird romantic tension between uh, Kyle and Carol Ferris which felt extremely forced and inappropriate and like there should be more of a palpable age difference between the characters and obviously like they half the time he's illustrated like there is a major one but I just I, I don't know like and the art isn't always bad on the villains I kind of liked it on the guardians I kind of liked it even on Carol I kind of liked it and how it kind of was a, a nice silver age throwback but I absolutely hated how Kyle Rayner looks. And considering that Kyle Rayner is the main focus of the book and he's the main character, that's a huge problem. So I just did not like this at all. Uh, I gave it a... I think I, it was being nice. I gave it a 6. Um, next up is Indestructible Hulk number 9. Now this I liked. Um, this is starting a new storyline. Uh, I like the... I continued to enjoy the interplay uh, that Mark Wade has between uh, uh, Maria Hill and uh, the Hulk, I hear, I like that we have uh, Matt Murdock showing up as Daredevil because he's uh, Banner's lawyer to make sure that he's being properly taken care of. Uh, the art's a little loose and a little gamey at times, but uh, there's some fun stuff here where, uh, you know, Banner's kind of messing with Maria Hill and they mess each other back. And so there's one point where, you know, they're going to a mission. And she's like, no, you're going as Banner. He's like, oh, okay. And so they, they gave him a, you know, a parachute and he, uh, he pulls it and uh, it's not an actual parachute at all. And she kind of looks at, he looks up at Maria Hill and he's like, you always get me back. And then he turns into the Hulk. So I thought that was actually a lot of fun. I liked seeing Hulk team up with, Dare, with Daredevil because they're a weird uh, pairing, but an interesting pairing as well. Um, yeah, so I actually, I actually really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. I'm interested to see where the story goes. Uh, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun, and I really dug it. There's a great panel in here where uh, Daredevil breaks and in, comes into a bar, and you just have him. He kind of walks in, and says, "Gentlemen, everyone cocks their guns. They'll take them all out." And then you have this big hole in the wall behind Daredevil shows up as uh, as the Hulk shows up, and then everyone just kind of is like dropping the guns, and is like, "Oh my God, what the hell is happening?" And then Daredevil is just like, a word, and all the guns are put away because you don't mess with the Hulk. Uh, absolutely love that sequence. It was so cool. And, um, yeah, so it's interesting. And then you're led to wonder, you know, what's gonna, what's going on next because you have uh, Baron Zemo uh, being introduced as a, a possible antagonist in the book. I love Baron Zemo. I'm really afraid of how he's going to be used because uh, he was such a cool character as a Thunderbolt and as a hero in the Thunderbolt born, Thunderbolts Born Better storyline by Fabian Nichiza and Tom Grummet, uh, where he kind of established that he's still somewhat villainous, but also had uh, some noble idea, uh, aspects of the character. That when Ed Brubaker reintroduced him when Bucky was uh, Captain America, uh, they were kind of playing up the idea that he was more back for the honor of his father and trying to kill Bucky again. And he's the one who kind of released information that Bucky, what, like James Buchanan Barnes, was the Winter Soldier, and that maybe he shouldn't be Captain America as a result. And not much had really been utilized with him since the very beginning of Fear Itself when he, I believe, helped uh, Sin find the Book of the Skull. So I'm not... I'm a little worried because I love him as a character and I love his progression as a character and I don't like that we might be going backwards. That being said, it's Mark Wade and I trust Mark Wade more than most people. 
uh, or most writers because he's just a, first of all he's just a great writer and he usually does understand and care and respect continuity so I'm hoping that he will do so here uh, so he wrote it and the artwork was by Matteo Scalera not, not my probably my first choice for artists in this book but a surprisingly enjoyable choice so I gave it an 8 out of 10 uh, next up is Justice League of America's Vibe uh, what issue was this? Uh, this was issue number five. I'm enjoying it. It's a fun romp. It's kind of, it's loose and go- loose and goosey, uh, but I'm liking it. You have the Suicide Squad here stepping in to uh, take Vibe down. I, who would have thought the Vibe is actually kind of a fun and interesting character to read about? Pete Wood's doing a good job in art, and you got Sterling Gates uh, on the script. Uh, so here you have Vibe and Gypsy uh, trying to escape from. Uh, the agents of, um, I guess what, Argus, and uh, Amanda Waller is just like, you know, not really enjoying that he's going rogue, so she decides to sick the uh, Suicide Squad on them, including a character I've never seen before, uh, who, there's a reason for that, I guess, because we don't see him afterwards, and at the end, we actually have uh, Vibe getting captured, and his friend not knowing what happened to him, and uh, hopefully it looks like in some way he'll have to escape next issue. I dug this, it was fun, it was a simple read, but a fun read, and I gave it a 7.5. Uh, next up is Morbius the Living Vampire. Now this issue could have actually been better than it was, but you know what, it wasn't, because it's Morbius the Living Vampire, and it hasn't been enjoyable all the way through. Um, so, let's see here, I'm just pulling up the issue. So, Morbius the Living Vampire, uh, we have... Uh, the Doc Ock version of Sp- Spider-Man, the Superior Spider-Man showing up. Uh, Keating still writing with the Landro and artwork. Um, actually, am I right there? Let me just double check here. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's Joe Keating on writing, Valentine DeLandro and uh, on art with Antonio Fabella on color. Um, I don't know. They have this character showed up. We don't really know why is that why they're there, and they steal some stuff from Horizon Labs. This prompts Superior Spider-Man to come. Even though his costume looks a little bit more like the regular and not the superior, but he uh, captures um, uh, Morbius, and him and Max Modell are going to try and figure out what they can do uh, with uh, Morbius to figure out who basically stole stuff from them. Um, and then this character kind of makes easy pickings of uh, Morbius and Spider-Man and steals some stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, it almost seemed like it could have been interesting, but then you have the idea that maybe the Rose is trying to build an ultimate nullifier. I just didn't care. And I know this book is being cancelled, and you know what? It deserves it. It's not very interesting or engaging. Uh, this The Superior Spider-Man kind of uh, guest appearance here could have been a lot more interesting, but it wasn't because they didn't know how to handle it correctly. Uh, I just didn't much care for this. So I gave this a uh, 6 out of 10. And as we run into, I guess, the last seven books, we have New Avengers number 7, once again, a very strong outing for this title. I uh, gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, really, really digging this book. It remains one of my favorite you know, books on the shelves. I wish it came out more often, like the Avengers, but I mean, I can I can put up with it not coming out as often, as long as it's this high quality, because it's a, it's a fun read. Uh, Jonathan Hickman wrote it with Mike Deodato and artwork. So here you have, uh, in the, have the aftermath of the Blue Incursion last issue, you have um, Iron Man. It's been a while. Iron Man is now in space because in his current, con- in present continuity, he's talking with Reed Richards 
as to what's going on since their last incursion. Uh, Reed is in the middle of his adventure with his own family, so he's taking moments out of his time to go back in time, not go back in time, punch through time and space to check in on what's going on in the world in terms of Black Swan, etc. Um, at this time, Beast has now gone through some physical changes as a result of all new X-Men, and he's dealing with the Black Swan. Uh, Black Swan's teaching him languages, and he's teaching languages to them. Uh, you have uh, Doctor Strange doing his own kind of business, so he's kind of off the map. You have a lot of issues between uh, Wakanda and Atlantis. A lot of Wakandans are dying. Uh, you have, you know, uh, Namor and Black Panther trying to come to a resolution on what to do in the future, and the idea of peace between their peoples, what it would take, and uh, Black Panther kind of being debased a little by it, but, you know, still promising that he's going to kill him. You have Doctor Doom inviting for dinner, uh, both uh, Reed Richards and Doctor Strange, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, obviously, Doctor uh, Doom saw the incursion and wants to know what the hell is going on about that. You have a glimpse of the, uh, let's see, what's it, um, the uh, Adelan, the royal city of the Inhumans, and you have the uh, all his uh, all of the Black Bolt's wives, which were recently in Hickman's run on FF and Fantastic Four. Um, really interesting stuff. I like that we're seeing more of Black Panther and Reed Richards kind of building these you know, basically nuclear weapons, for lack of a better word, to help stop incursions. It's been a little while, what they think about that. You have Black Panther trying to, you know, discuss with his sister and leading a council, and he's trying to counsel against actual war, but instead, uh, Shuri decides no, the uh, Wakanda is going to war against Atlantis. Um, it's an interesting book. It's it set it's definitely sets itself apart from the previous six issues and that the last six issues were much more like the incursions coming up to know figure out what to do about them and how to stop them. This is more of a okay, now we're catching up with the regular Marvel universe, we've moved ahead. Uh, everyone's where they are in the other books now, but this is still an ongoing concern, but this is how we're able to still address that even with everything else happening in all the other books. Um really dug it. Nine out of ten. And Diodato's artwork artwork is absolutely gorgeous. Um, next up is Superior Spider-Man number 12. Again, I really dug this, a 9 out of 10 book. Um, it's just a lot of fun. I like the idea that you have um, Spider-Man stuck in the middle of the raft, and he's having to fight against you know a few augmented villains as well as uh, the Spider-Slayer. Um, Cam and Coley did the artwork with Slot writing it. Um, Really cool stuff. I'm really kind of interested to see where it's how, where it's going to go and how it's going to play out. I love the idea that Jameson's taking his life into his own hands and he's really like, you know, I got to end this because of what happened to Marla, which feels like a very you know human emotion. Uh, I like that, um, you know, just uh, I just like the Jameson's like not just this angry blowhard, but he's really this man who's standing up for his own beliefs and and trying to do what it what he thinks is right by his wife, which is not really probably what she ever would have wanted, but he's trying to make sure. Um, and then you have, like, the raft going dark. I'm interested to see what happens with the lizard, and especially because, I mean, I don't believe Doc Ock, Spider-Man, really realizes that the lizard is still Kirk Connors, but it'll be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, I guess you would really have no way of knowing. But we as readers know, so it's interesting to see what happens there. Um, and it really, at the end of this issue, you're really, you know, wondering what's going to happen, because... You have uh, Spider-Man taking on, you know, the beat, um, Boomerang and stops him. But now, and this is such a classic last page, you have 
the uh, vulture about to go out, go after the innocents that are currently stuck in a protective bubble that Spider-Man has put them in. You have uh, the scorpion hunting uh, Jameson, and then you also have the Spider Slayer himself. And it's the idea of who, what is Spider-Man going to do? And as Spider-Man says, at the end, I only have one thing I have to do: slay the Spider Slayer. And the idea here, we also gets like basically permission from Jameson to to cross that line and to kill kill the Spider Slayer is fascinating as well. I'm really interested to see where this goes. Um, so that and also coming up soon, I think in a few weeks or I forget which week, but we're going to be getting into the uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, and well, really Superior Month when it's all Superior. So you'll have uh, Superior Carnage, Superior Foes of Spider-Man number one, Sp- Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number one, as well as uh, various other books in the Spider-Family where he's, he'll be making appearances. So, uh, really good stuff. I give this a 9 out of 10. It was a solid read. It was very suspenseful, and I'm really interested to see where they go with it. And that brings us to Thunderbolts uh, number 11. Not a good read. Not enjoyable. Not good. I gave it a 6. It probably deserves less. Uh, the artwork doesn't fit the tone of the book. Um, I'm just not enjoying Daniel Way's t- take on these characters at all. Phil Noto is an interesting artist. The, the colorist is probably not quite the right for this take on the characters. Um, I, don't, I like Noto's artwork, but he, again, I just don't think he's quite right for this book. Um, it's basically a setup, and I don't care. Um, and if you're reading this and enjoying it, well, please tell me why. I gave it a six. Uh, next up is Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number 24. This was extremely enjoyable. It's a, it was a lot. Of, it was a really good read. Um, I liked seeing the origins of these versions of Ultimate Cloak and Dagger, which are really heartbreaking, but also quite interesting. That it's interesting to see how different it is from what we know of the characters, because obviously in the regular Marvel universe, they're quite different. Um, you know, they're you know they're runaways, they're drunk, they're druggies, uh, not intentionally, but that's basically what they are. Whereas here, you have. The idea that you have, they're both student council presidents of their own schools, and they meet one day when at a fast food restaurant, because one of them is the manager, um, Ty is the manager, and Tandy's a irate customer, and then uh, six months later, they're, they're dating, they're going to a prom together, uh, they love each other, and they, you know, and suddenly they are hit, um, you know, uh, there's a hit and run, uh, they're injured quite dead, like, quite greatly, uh, they are then, you know, uh, abducted from by you know this is an interesting uh, bunch of cameos Dr. Layla Miller, Nathaniel Essex Dr. Samuel Sturridge and Dr. Arnim Zola III so obviously in the regular Marvel Universe you would also know them as Layla Miller Butterfly from uh, X Factor Nathaniel Essex or better known as uh, Mr. Sinister again in the regular universe at least because he's not in this one uh, Dr. Samuel Stearns who's the leader in the, the regular universe and Dr. Arnim Zola, who is obviously Arnim Zola. Uh, they, so Roxxon abducts these two and you know falsifies their deaths because they're going to basically do some DNA testing, not testing, but alter, alterations and modifications, and they end up at some point waking up and having the ability to uh, manipulate the light and dark matter, and they are now Cloak and Dagger. You have Miles Morales dealing with the idea that he gave up being Spider-Man, uh, but maybe he won't be able to. Uh, maybe... He needs to put that costume back on. Um, this was an especially thrilling, part of it because we really get introduced to Cloak and Dagger and who they are in this universe, and I found it kind of heart-wrenching, but also very engaging. Uh, Marquez is a fantastic artist. He's a great um, successor to Sarah Bocelli. Bendis does a great job on the script. 
Um, you know, Spider-Man's not really in the issue, but it is, he doesn't need to be. It's extremely well done. And that brings us to uh, Uncanny Avengers number 9. Didn't really like this. I, get, I gave it a 7. I mean, it wasn't bad. I'm really torn. It wasn't the best issue I've ever read. Um, it's generally headed in an interesting direction, kind of. But, again, I don't know how much I like of the Uncanny Avengers just bickering all the time. Um, I do like... This is probably... I'm still not a big fan of Daniel Acuna, but his artwork here is a little bit better. Um, I do like that we're getting the idea that, you know, this is very much a successor to what happened in Uncanny X-Force and Captain America doesn't really know what to deal with, how to deal with this because of what Logan's past has been and how he was involved. You have Captain America finding, uh, you know, warning from Immortus. Uh, some really interesting stuff. I'm enjoying it. Um... At, at times and then there's other times where I'm just not enjoying it at all I'm not really sure and I like that you have more and more people kind of really not trusting Wolverine because of what happened uh, with his own son and with uh, Warren Worthington in the first place and you know confronting the idea that you know did they kill a child apocalypse and then you know really going back and forth on this and I thought that was actually really interesting as well and uh, yeah and I, and I like the idea that you know, Captain America would be appalled at this, and he would be appalled at the idea that he's let this man be an Avenger, even though he's killed a child, and he would be very against that. And um, yeah, and he's you know, um, Captain America said, you know, I'm done ignoring his killing, and uh, Havoc being kind of the voice of reason, being like, this is how they are going to divide us, and we got to stop that. You know, we can't let this shatter us and you have a first glimpse of uh the force war the four new horsemen of death which appear to be grim reaper banshee sentry and dakin which is an interesting grouping um not the best issue but it's got some interesting ideas the artwork at times is well suited and at times it's not so it's kind of a eh, seven out of ten uh next up is x factor 258 i like this um you know we're leading into the the last few issues of x factor um so this issue was part two of six of the the end of X Factor, and you have J the return of John Maddox. Uh, this issue is written by Peter David with artwork by uh, Edwards, um, Neil, sorry Neil Edwards and Carmen Carnero. Um, I actually enjoyed it quite a lot. I liked the return to John Maddox and seeing him dealing with Wolfsbane and Wolfsbane dealing with the, the aftermath of what happened to her son at the hands of Guido. Um, I liked it quite a lot, and I liked the, the status quo it sets up for Rain at the end. Um, I liked it actually a lot, and it was it's nice to see this different part of Jamie as well. Um, this aspect of Jamie who decided to become a priest. Uh, the artwork at times is a little little loose in terms of how Wolfsbane looks. Uh, I do like her her remeeting um, the father of her child, but really just being like a polar bear that she's talking to, which is interesting. And then being protected by Guido, uh, and then eventually going back to um, be friends with uh, John Maddox, and end up going to work at his church. And then hopefully next issue with Shadowstar and Longshot will be similarly fun, entertaining, and enriching for the characters involved. Uh, Peter David will be sorely missed, but at least he's going at it the way he wants to on this title. He's wrapping up all these personal inter inter all these personal stories that he's had simmering for a long time and it, that's the way that he would go out and you would imagine that it just fits like he wouldn't go out on a big storyline like hell on earth war he would go uh, go out on the storyline afterwards where he gets to put all the characters more or less back together at least set them up for whoever wants to do something with them next 
and gets to conclude their personal journeys that he started under his watch. And I really like that about his art, his uh, the way he wrote the stories. And that brings us to X-Men Legacy number 12. I gave this a 5. I've been up and down on this book. For the most part, it's been kind of quirky and different. Uh, I hate the Red Skull uh, as done by Recommender. This issue is very contingent upon that version of the character, which I hate. Uh, Simon Spurrier wrote it with uh, breakdowns by Paul Davidson and Jay Leaston. Um, basically, Legion's about to take you know the thing that loses powers, and then he knows that the Red Skull is kind of involved, and then a bunch of the X uh, the X Men come to stop what's going on and to help him live with blindfold. And you have again more, a little bit more of the blindfold Legion uh, relationship. I just found this issue very kind of boring. There's a lot going on, but I just didn't find it actually engaging or interesting. So I gave it uh, a 5 out of 10. And those are my ratings for this week. Uh, the books I did not get a chance to look at were Batman Beyond Unlimited, Fables 130, Legion Superheroes 21, Red Hood and the Outlaws 21, Supergirl number 21, Ultimate Comics Ultimates 26, Wolverine Max number 8, and Wonder Woman number 21. Thank you for joining me for this episode. It ended up being a longer one than I originally anticipated it being. I thought it would be a little bit of a shorter episode, but I had a lot to say first at the beginning, just in terms of housekeeping, etc. And then a lot to say about Age of Ultron, and then there was just too many books for me to compress my thoughts so thoroughly. So you ended up getting a longer episode than I had originally intended, so whoopee! Um, anyway, thank you again for listening to uh, Comic Shenanigans. As I said before, this is episode 89. Uh, we were looking at the books that came out on the uh, 19th of June. Uh, I am your host, Adam Chapman. If you want to send me uh, any emails or fan mails, suggestions, etc., you can do so either at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, personal message on HC Realms on the SDM clicks, or you can, uh, as I said before, if you have any ideas for next week's show in case it is a solo show, um, send me your ideas in terms of or just posting them on the, uh, the thread that I'll put this episode in. And uh, hopefully, if it is a solo show, uh, I can take those ideas and run with them. Uh, if it is end up being a show where I end up being able to get someone to join me, either being Leon or Alana, Tom Kerr or Nathan Strzok, uh hopefully we'll have something else to talk about, whether it be, you know, uh, maybe doing another Top 5 episode, maybe it'll be a Heroclix episode, who knows what it will be, but it'll be something, hopefully. If it's not with someone, it'll be me solo and just jamming on whatever someone's able to provide me in terms of ideas. So thanks again for joining me for Comic Shenanigans, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.